0: Morning, y'all. It's good to be with you. I love getting to come over here, but I, I just hate that I always am like running out the door. So, um, but I'll take I'll take it. Um, we are in a passage this morning as we're going through this series on Acts, um, and this message is uh, this passage and this message is definitely one for skeptics uh, because. You know, we're going to hear in just a second, but, um, you know, it, this passage, we've got these people who don't give everything to the church, so they get struck down by God. Um, we've got some hypocrisy, some judgmentalism, some what appears to be some money hunger and some power hunger and some fear-based manipulation. So we got quite a stew of uh, fun stuff. Um, but I, I think we're going to find that uh, we're opening a box that the enemy has liked to keep under our beds for a long time to see what's really in there um, and to expose some lies and lead us to uh, to freedom. So um, do we have a scripture reader? Come on up. Alicia. So this is Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, if you want to turn there.
1: But a man man. named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things.
0: Thanks, Alicia. Father, we come into your presence, and we are desperate for you whether we know it or not, and we ask that you would come and open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to see you as you really are and to really to see us as we really are too um, and to receive you. Lord, I pray that you would keep your promise to us as you always do and not leave us unchanged, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we've been talking about at Midtown West, the way that we've been talking through this series is I've invited our people to consider this Is you know, Acts is the beginning of the church. And so as we're looking back at like, what is the church? This is as, you know, purified, distilled, um, the early church is as, as early as it gets. And so as we study this and we study what is the church, what is Christianity, what is the mission of God, what is Jesus up to in the world now, uh, post-resurrection, I've asked our people to consider this like being on an exploring board. Have you guys ever? Do you know what an exploring board is? Anybody? Uh, it's this magical tool that I've used a couple times in my life. One time to plant Midtown West, um, but it's this idea that you're asking people, "Hey, would you just come with us and commit to three months to explore what this could look like and dream with us and vision? At the end of that three months, you can you know jump off and do your own thing, and we'll say thank you. Or you can stay with us and really be in." And the two times I've used that, um, everybody stayed, and it's been wonderful. So, um, but the idea is that there's something about. Would you just lean in? You really have to lean in. You really have to engage. Um, but but by the end of this series, by by Christmas time, uh, you can decide to lean out. And and I think that's really important because we have so many bad tapes uh, about Christianity and about the church. And if we're not careful, we can live like victims where. Um, we have no agency, but here's the reality. You're all adults, except for the kids. You're not, you will be one day, Um, but you're all adults, and so at the end of this series, you can decide to lean out of Midtown East. You can never come back, and you can decide to lean out of Christianity. (laughs) You can not follow Jesus at all, Um, and that's a really important freedom that you have, so what I'm asking is that you would lean in um, because it, it takes leaning in to really see what's really there, and, uh, and I think what we're going to find here is that Jesus is revealing himself powerfully, uncovering uh, an enemy in his work, and he's actually leading us to freedom. Um, he's not leading us to the things that maybe we would th- think that we caught in reading this at first glance, um, but he's actually leading us to freedom. So in order to jump into this passage, just a, a brief recap of, of the passage immediately preceding this. Uh, We're told that the Holy Spirit moved in the hearts of believers in this early church. And so it it says so that they're um, of one heart and soul. It's this beautiful picture of God uniting his people and empowering his people, giving them the same love, the same vision, this deep love for one another, this deep love for God, this deep love for outsiders that they wanted to see good things for in their community. And so the Holy Spirit is the one uh, authoring this, this work of making them one heart and one soul. And, and then it lists Barnabas as an example of what they were doing. They were people that had means, people that had properties, were seeing people in need in this community. And because they loved them, because they loved God, they freely gave. They, they sold their properties and took the proceeds and gave them to the church. It said they laid them at the apostles' feet. They gave the proceeds to the church and said, hey, here's some money to help those people. I know those people are in need. And then it gives Barnabas as this example. And it says, you know, Barnabas essentially did the same thing. He had property. He sold it. He laid it at the apostles' feet. And then our passage starts with the word but. So it's it's saying, but uh, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And it's saying, um, essentially, this on the surface looks identical to what we just saw with Barnabas, but it's really something very different. Something very, very different. And, and what happened, of course, is, you know, we, we just read that they sold their property and they laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet, but they lied. And they told the apostles that this is the entire proceeds that we made from selling this land, but it wasn't. And they kept part of the proceeds back for themselves. So we have to ask the question, why? Why did they do this? Why did, as as Peter said, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? Well, we don't know exactly. I mean, we have some ideas from the passage, but imagine this. Imagine, you know, this is a, a tight-knit community. Imagine there were a lot of people that probably knew that they had this property, and they knew that this wasn't a, a necessity for them to live, and so then there are these needs coming up, and they— probably were feeling the eyes of the community on them. Maybe they felt the pressure to be good. Maybe they wanted to appear better than they were. Maybe they wanted some glory. Maybe they wanted to be seen and to be praised. Um, But really what we're talking about here is hypocrisy. It's that my my exterior doesn't match my interior. The things that I'm projecting to the world are, are not really the things that are in my heart and in my mind. It's a calculation. It's me um, contriving an image to to project to you so that you'll think something about me that's actually not really true about me. And hypocrisy is rooted in fear and pride. It's pride because I want glory at any cost. I want to be godlike. And that comes from an orphan mentality. I feel like I don't have enough, so I got to go get something for myself. But it also is born out of fear. And, And, you know, pride and fear are two sides of the same coin. And so fear says, I want safety at any cost. I want to avoid condemnation. And that also comes from this orphan mentality. I can't, I can't trust God. I can't trust anybody else. I've got to take care of myself. And it's depending on the power of man for the glory of man. And so as Peter starts to address them at the end of verse 3 and end of verse 4, um, what we're really seeing is we're not seeing Peter so much as we're seeing God. We're seeing God use Peter as his mouthpiece. God speaking uh, to Ananias, through peter and and he sees, and it 's important for us to to see this that um, the lie is it 's really God talking to him and it, and the lie that he uh, he lied was to the Holy Spirit more than it was to other people and so So what we see here is like we have to at the end of the day we have to deal with God we can 't run from god we can 't hide from God, we have to deal with God because he 's going to find us. And he's going to deal with us. Um, and God makes plain what is unseen. That, that what's happening here is satanic. That there's a, another force at work here in the church. In this community of believers. This, this community in its infancy uh, of followers of Jesus. And it is, it is Satan. It is the, the great deceiver. The great enemy uh, of God and all things that God loves. It says, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to be false, to contrive this deed. And how, do, how does Peter recognize this as satanic? How do we recognize this as satanic? Because it's, it's back to the pride and the fear. Um, we're not going to go there today, but if you want to go back to Genesis 3 and see Satan's first interaction with humanity, he's been doing the same thing since the beginning of time. And what he said to Adam and Eve is essentially this, chopped down. Did God actually say, you, you won't die, you'll be like God? Uh, if you're not familiar with that story, you know, the, the first humans, God said, I've given you everything you need, you and I are connected, um, but just to kind of make sure that uh, your relationship with me is in its appropriate place, there's one tree I don't want you to eat from, and so, so the enemy comes and says, did God actually say that? No, 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 you, you won't die like he said. You'll actually become like God. And that's the same lie. It's that fear pride that he's been spinning for the rest of human history. It's the pride. Get glory for yourself. Be God-like. You can test God. You don't need to fear him. You can trifle with him if you want to. And it's the fear. You can't trust God. <laughs> You're the only one you can trust. But what do we see here in this passage Uh, does God is God desperate for these people's money no Um, the sin is not that they they didn't give until it hurt the sin is the hypocrisy it's seeking their own glory um, not the things of God and Peter makes it plain he said this is yours freedom like this property is yours why did you do this Like, you could have avoided this whole thing. (laughs) The property belongs to you. This is not communism. This is not socialism. This is not a cult. Like, that property belonged to you. You didn't have to sell it. You would have been accepted in this community. You would have been loved in this community if you had kept it for yourself. And then you went and sold it. And guess what? The money that you got from the sale is yours. You didn't have to give any of it to us. You didn't have to give any of this money to God. You know, as as it says in Scripture, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. And so Peter rejects their gift. Who does that? <laughs> you know, the 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 like what God is all about here. Um, It's not trying to get as much money and as much work from people as possible. You know, they they bring this portion of the proceeds and instead of saying, well, something's better than nothing, like we could always use a little money. Peter says, no, 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 we're not going to have any part of this. We're not going to have any part of this. Why? Because um, he's not trusting in man. He's trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit. If this is God's church, if this is God's mission, if these are God's people, then we're going to lean on the power of God. God supplies everything he requires, and he cares about your heart. And the only, the only reason that God cares about your money is because of what it says about your heart. Because he cares about you, and he cares about the Spirit's work in your life. And what Barnabas and all these other people did was not fruit of their inherent goodness. It was not their effort. It was not them bootstrapping holiness. It was the life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit. It was the new life made available to them through the work of the Holy Spirit in them. That's why they freely gave, and, and that's what they did. They freely gave. They were not manipulated. They did not say, I didn't really want to do this, but this is a good idea. Um, this was just a, a new desire in them to love their community by freely giving. Second um, Corinthians 9, 7 through 8 says this. Paul says, each person must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. When it says God loves a cheerful giver, it doesn't mean he wants you to smile when you put money in the offering plate. (laughs) What that means is God is going to give you the heart that you need to give cheerfully where it is actually a joy to give because he's giving you new eyes and a new mind and a new heart to see and to love and to have new um, desires and to have new uh, priorities. It's saying you don't, like God doesn't need you to fake it till you make it. He's going to give you everything you need. And if you don't believe me, then the very next verse says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's saying, look, if you're not cheerful now, ask God and he'll give you the cheerful heart. And when you give it away, guess what? You don't have to worry because he's going to give you everything you need. So if, if you don't have it, he's going to give it. And so uh, after this little conversation, Ananias immediately drops dead. It's interesting. It actually happened last week at West. No, it didn't. Um, (laughs) um, Anyway, Um, three hours later, it says, his wife comes in. She doesn't know what's happened, and she also has an opportunity to tell the truth. Peter asks her, did you sell the property, and was it sold for this amount and she says, yes, yeah, that's the full amount. Um, and then, of course, she, she lies and drops dead, too. And Peter says, um, you've agreed together to test the Holy Spirit. Um, and and he, he's saying the same thing that he said to Ananias, just in different words. But, but he says, um, you've agreed together to test the Holy Spirit. That idea to test, again, comes from that fear-pride place. It's to push the limits. It's to see what you can get away with. It's pride and fear. It's asserting yourself over God to live as you choose, not as he chooses. And if you want a picture of this in your life, um, think about the, the way that, well, I'll just use I statements here. Um, I think about the way that I am towards speed limits. Um, I don't respect them. Um, I don't follow them. But I am afraid of getting a ticket, so if I think that there's a police officer nearby, I will slow down. But if he's not watching, I'm not going to slow down. And that's kind of that pride-fear thing that we have with God. It's like, I, if he puts me in a place of fear where I think I'm going to get caught and something bad's going to happen to me, then I'll adjust my behavior, but I don't really care. <laughs> I don't really care what God loves. I don't really care what he hates. I, I just care about what I want to do. Um, and so I will, I will tap dance for him if he's watching so that I can get what I want and get him off my back. That's what it means to test the Holy Spirit. You really don't have um, what you need, which is the gift of godly fear. Because what, what happens here in verse 11, it says, Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things, and that is a great mercy. That is a great mercy and a great gift from God—the gift of godly fear driving out slavish fear. When this happens, when these people drop dead, I mean, of course, we could ask a million questions, and and I just think it's interesting if you're in this place too. Um, I say too because I find myself in this place a lot. Um, when I read a passage like this and I hear that somebody dropped dead because of a sin my first knee-jerk reaction is, what? That's not fair. That's not a big deal, man. Like, geez, like, lay off, God. But that just reveals my heart, right? Um, It's like, in, in so many ways, I'm just, I'm at the ready to say, aha, I caught you, God. You're not as good as you said you were. Why am I like that? He's always only been faithful to me. That just reveals this, like, sin- nature in me, and thank God for Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you think about Jesus doing signs and wonders. When he was healing people, when he was giving blind people sight, he was making lame people walk, he was bringing healing. Um, What he was really doing when he was raising people from the dead, that's probably the best example for what we're talking about here. Um, It's not that he wanted to give them, it was so important to him to give Lazarus a few more years on earth. Like, Lazarus was still had to live with Martha, okay, so it's not that great, (laughs) and Lazarus was (laughs) going to die again, (laughs) so it's not that Jesus was like, yes, we got Lazarus 20 more years, high five, no, no, this was a sign, his healing was a sign of saying, the whole reason I came was on a soul level, on a spirit level, you're dead, and I'm making you alive again, Just like this guy. He was dead. I made him alive. I'm doing that on a deeper level, on an eternal level. And what happens here is kind of the same thing in the opposite direction of a fast forward of like, this is where all things are going. You can either trust in Christ and have salvation in Him and have life, or you cannot and have death. And that man and woman laying on the floor is a preview of coming attractions. There is life in Christ. And there's not life apart from him. And so in that way, it's, it's not so much cruel as it would be cruel to not wake us up to eternal realities, right? If that, I mean, we can argue about whether you think that's what's coming or not. But if that is what's coming, that's a great mercy for us to see that and be awakened to that reality, right? That we have to do business with that. It would be unloving uh, for God to let us stay asleep and miss this whole thing. Jesus loves you too much to let you reap the benefits of being in this community without engaging with him at all. You have to hear this because it's where life is, and the gift of godly fear, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's like when um, Gandalf the wizard gets big uh, in front of Bilbo, when Bilbo has the ring, and he's still not quite ready to let go of it, but this thing is going to kill him, and it's going to kill everybody, and Gandalf's like, hey, you need to give me the ring, and he's like, you just want this for yourself, and so Gandalf has to get big and scare him to scare him back into sobriety and realize, oh, wait, what am I doing, and that's really what God is doing here, the gift of godly fear, to know that that he is not to be trifled with is good for me, you know, it makes me think about Jesus with his disciples on the, on the boat when there was just an incredible storm, and he just stood up and said, stop. And the waves and the, the seas just were totally calm. And what did the disciples say? It said they were filled with great fear and said to each other, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Like, that's good. It's good to be awake to that reality that we need to lean in and figure out, like, who is this guy? Revelation 117, uh, the last book of Scripture, John is given this vision, this apocalyptic vision. It says, when he saw Jesus as he really was, he fell down as though dead. Like, this God is not to be trifled with, but he's also full of mercy and love. (laughs) But we got to know this. Proverbs 14, 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life so that you can turn away from death. We will all run towards death as long as he allows us until he intervenes. And his intervention is a gift. And and lastly here, Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He's scaring us (laughs) to make us his friends. Like that's amazing that the God of the universe doesn't just drop all of us, but he scares us into new life with him. So are all Christians hypocrites? Yes. Yes. Yes, we are. Um, I am. Uh, I'm always trying to make myself look better than I really am to you. And you are too. Is this a sign that Jesus wants that or that he doesn't care about that? No, it's not. Is it a sign that he is powerless to do something about my hypocrisy and your hypocrisy? No. But what this tells us, what Peter clues us into when he says that this is satanic is that this, the church, the church, Um, the people of God on the mission of God, these are the front lines. Like this is where the action is going to be because this is what the enemy hates. So there is a powerful supernatural enemy fighting against the work of God in the world. But Jesus is more powerful (laughs) and he is changing me. I'm not the same hypocrite I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same hypocrite I was two years ago. He is making me new and he's making you new as well. So all Christians are hypocrites, but guess what? All, s- all skeptics and atheists are hi- hypocrites too. You are. Um, arguably more so because you've come up with your own individualized standard of morality that determines whether someone's good or bad. That's pretty proud. Um, and no matter who you are, no matter what your standard is of what it means to be good or bad, you cannot keep your own standard. If I had a tape recorder around your neck and I heard you say things like, well, that person's so bad because blah, 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 or that person's a good person because blah, 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 and we made a list of rules for you to follow out of that, you would fail. So what hope is there for anyone? <laughs> what hope is there for Christians who are hypocrites? Well, we, we have the freedom to not fake it. Um, Jesus can help us because he was not a hypocrite. You know, he was kind of like the anti-Ananias and Sapphira in this story. In John 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down freely. He was the only one who lived a righteous life. He was the only one who had a heart that only produced good and, and love and justice and mercy and grace and everything. He's the only one. And he came and laid himself down freely at the feet of God (laughs) and said, I give everything for these people. I give everything for you so that you can have life. And I'm not under compulsion. Nobody takes my life from me. I'm giving it freely because that's what's in my heart. And because I've given it freely, you now can have a new heart Where maybe, just maybe, that's a possibility for you too. That you could give freely for the sake of someone else. And that would actually be something natural birthed out of you. And not you just trying to appear good for other people. We've got to be honest and ask God and our brothers and sisters for help. We have to confess where our heart is. We have to, we must And we're also free to confess what is inside of us and what is not inside of us. You know, think about this, um, how this story would have gone differently if when Ananias came before Peter and Peter asked him, hey, is this the like total amount like you said it is? What if Ananias had said, you know what? It's not. What Barnabas has in him that makes him want to do this, I don't think I have that in me. Um, and it scares me, and um, I need help. Would you pray for me? <laughs> and what if we were a community that lived like that? You know what? I don't, I don't really have that love in me right now. You know what? What I just said to you, uh, I, that's not true. I said that because I want you to think better of me than I am. Uh, Would you pray for me? Because I actually don't want to live like that anymore. I want Jesus to, to change that about me. Man, the power of that, right? And that's what we're getting back to is it's not about the glory of man. It's about the glory of God. And the glory of God is that we don't have what it takes, but he will give it to us. And when he gives it to us, we worship him and say, look at this God who gives everything for his people. Even when we were enemies, he gave everything for us. Who is this God? Who is like this God who would lay himself down freely and give his life freely and go down to the darkest depths freely for me? To make this true, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. From all unrighteousness and to make us new. So that's what I leave you with this morning is that we would lean in, um, that y'all, as this community at Midtown East, would lean into this truth with each other and trust that you don't have to fake it till you make it, that He will give you what you don't have. And as, as, as you all collectively watch Him give each other what we don't have, um, that is going to lead to wonder and worship, and a a deep joy, and a deep peace. And that um, is going to not only bring so much new life in here, but that's going to be a light to this community, because nobody lives like that. And Lord, would you please use this to draw people who don't know you from death to life, and be a part of this, this community. Father, please, um, you, you've heard what we've been talking about. Please give us the strength that we need to be honest and to be humble and to confess our sin together. And Lord, give us the strength we need to not be terrified of other people's sin so that we can meet that confession with uh, a humble courage to say, you know what, that's true of me too. And let's pray together and let's ask you, Lord, um, the giver of life, for new life. And so uh, we do that now, even as we continue to worship in Jesus name. Amen.